I want you to open your Bibles today to the book of Ephesians. How many of you were here on Wednesday night? That was a good word, wasn't it? Yes. I was just thinking about uh, Brother Mark preached out of the New King James, and I was thinking about how it said it in Isaiah 49. It says, in, in, his, in that translation, it says, from the matrix of my mother, you called me. That's just a really cool phrase. <laughs> he called us from the matrix. I was trying to think what the matrix of my mother was. I wasn't really sure. But even when we were in the womb, God called us. He knew us. Now, you have to respond to that call, don't you? The Bible says many are called, few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Is it because they didn't make it through boot camp? Are few chosen just because God says, nah, I don't like you anymore? No, because you have to respond to the call of God. Many are called. He doesn't call you unless he's able to equip you. Many are called, but few are chosen because few will respond to that call. But I praise God that more and more people are hearing the call of God. You know, when Lazarus heard the call of God um, and he was in the tomb, it wasn't, it wasn't Jesus teaching him how to come to life. It wasn't Jesus explaining to him how to come back from the dead. That, that wouldn't have worked. When Jesus called Lazarus, that power of God in the voice of God, the word of the Lord came to Lazarus. Lazarus' body responded before his brain was even alive. His body responded to the word of the Lord. Something responded, and that call of God pulled him out. That call of God was stronger than death, was stronger than disease, was stronger than whatever had killed him and whatever was happening long after he died. The call of God can bring you back to life. The call of God can bring you out of whatever tomb you're in. The call of God can pull you into his promises if you will respond to it. In Ephesians, we, um, we hear about... Um, from the very beginning, who we are in Christ, where God has placed us, seated us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, how we fit into his body, how God has put gifts in the body to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And all of this leads us to a place where he's demonstrating over and over again, you're not who you were, this is who you are in Christ. And then he brings us, by the time we get to Ephesians 5 and 6, we step into family. He's already told us about the family of God, but he begins to tell us about marriage and he begins to tell us about parenting. So last week we talked a bit about that glory of marriage, what God has put in it. But I want us to keep reading in Ephesians chapter 6 because we left off at the end of chapter 5. But as we come into chapter 6, and I want you to know, remember, this is a letter. This is not a textbook. The book of Ephesians is one letter. It's meant to be read as a letter. So you can't just split it up and say, well, this book was about this and this chapter was about this. This all blends together. You can't read Ephesians 6 without looking back to what he said in Ephesians 1 through 5. So by the time we get to Ephesians 6, you should be built up in this is who I am. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Even if your parents aren't born again, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, that doesn't, doesn't mean like if your parents told you not to go to church or not to follow Jesus, obviously there's a higher call than that. 
There's a higher law than that. That's just like the scripture says, obey the laws of the land, right? Honor the king, honor the emperor. But you know, if the emperor tells you to bow down and worship his statue, you got to honor God first. But it says, obey your parents. How do you do it? In the Lord. That's how you do it. You do it by his strength. You do it by his power. You do it as unto the Lord. And then it says, this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. That's a good promise. Honor your father and mother. And if you do this, it will be well with you and you'll live long on the earth. So you know this. It says, children, obey your parents. There's a certain point where you're not a child anymore, right? Right, guys? Nobody's asleep yet, are we? <laughs> or may, hopefully you believe this. But we are, you know, when you're, when you're a child, you've got to obey your parents. You get to a certain point as an adult, your relationship shifts with your parents. Your relationship is not just obeying what they're saying anymore. You've got you, you to gotta walk your path. But you never stop honoring them. For the rest of your life, you honor your father and mother. Now listen, I don't know what your parents are like. Maybe you got good parents. Maybe you got just parents that would make the, the, the bottom 10. They're just, they're, they're, they're not ones you'd brag about. Doesn't matter. You can still honor them. Because the scripture says, Peter said, honor the emperor while Nero was on the throne persecuting the church. Paul said, honor those who are in authority while the church was being persecuted. You can honor people even when they're not acting honorably because you're honoring God. You honor the authority because God instituted authority. So it says, honor your father and mother so it will be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, of course, that honor takes different forms. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees that they had broken this commandment. And they said, no, we haven't. And they said, yes, you have. Because you have a bunch of money. Your parents are starving. They're not doing well. And you say, well, I have money, but it's not for you. It's for God. It's dedicated to God. And he says, aren't you breaking that commandment? Honor your father and mother. So Jesus ties honor with taking care of your parents. Not just forsaking them, but actually taking care of them even when they're old. Putting up with their weird idiosyncrasies, the stuff they say and do that annoys you and frustrates you. You can still honor them. And you're honoring God as you honor them. Then it says this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to spend most of our time that's left this morning in this small verse. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. It's a powerful little verse, and we often skip right over it. And you might be wondering right now, what does it mean to provoke my kid to anger? Like when you just keep bugging them until they finally yell at you? Or when you won't take them to McDonald's when they want to go? And you just keep driving? What does it mean to provoke my kid to anger? And why is that so important? You know, it's interesting. He could have said other things, couldn't he have? He could have said, fathers, don't, don't let your kids go off and, and be tempted in this way. Or he could have said, fathers, don't hit your kids. Or all, he could have said all these things. But he says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. That's one of the 
that's the big point he's bringing out of all of this. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Why anger? Why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a big deal that as a dad, now moms, take this for yourself as well. He's starting with the example of the father because the father, he's saying, the, the father's got to be the first example. The father's got to be the, the one who starts this. He says, fathers, don't provoke your kids to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There is something that happens when we get angry. Anger is a cannibalistic emotion. It eats up everything else. You ever heard somebody say, oh, I was so angry, I could just see red? Like, when you're angry, you lose sight of a lot of things. And in fact, what anger does is it causes your heart to shrink and to close up. One of our responsibilities as parents is to raise our kids with their hearts wide open. Their hearts open to God, their hearts open to us, their hearts open to others. Because that's the most valuable thing they have. What does the Bible say? Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the wellsprings of life. So if you can guard that child's heart. Now remember, what does guard my heart mean? I've heard Christians use guard my heart as an excuse not to get close to people. I'm guarding my heart. Well, what are you guarding it from? Remember, what does it say? Guard your heart with all diligence. Why? Because out of it flows the wellsprings of life. So what are you guarding it against? You're guarding it against closing up. Because life is supposed to flow out of your heart. So you're supposed to guard it from closing up and tightening up and shutting down. So you don't do that by keeping yourself away from people. In fact, if you're so careful about staying away from people in the name of guarding your heart, you've already lost the battle. That's called closing your heart. And we're supposed to guard it against being closed and being hardened and being shut down. So we guard our hearts in such a way that our hearts can be wide open in the way that God calls them to be open. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you're gullible or naive. But it means that you open your heart to God and you open your heart to people. And you let the love of God flow out because that's the life of God working through you. When we raise up kids, you want them to keep their hearts open. Remember, what did Paul say to the Corinthians? He said, you're not restrained by us. You're restrained by your own affections. He says, I urge you like I'm talking to children, open wide your hearts. I urge you like I would talk to children, open wide your hearts. There's a, there's a godly admonition here. Don't let your heart be closed. You may not realize it, but a lot of times when kids grow up with closed hearts, it's the parents. We're the ones that we look at. That's not always your fault, guys. It's not always your fault. But we are the first line of defense. We're the ones that, we're the first ones, the first ones that can teach them to live with an open heart to God or they can teach them to close their heart and, and, and shut in to themselves. And I want to encourage you today, no matter what you hear today, no heart is too far from being softened and opened again. No matter what you hear today, I don't want to let guilt and condemnation come on you. I don't want you to sit there and blame your parents for all your problems. Because, hey, come on. We all had parents. Some of them were good, some were bad, but they all made mistakes. No matter what happened, you have a good father now who loves you and can heal you. 
Now, maybe some parents are sitting here and we're thinking about it and going, oh, I did that. I did that lots. And you're getting a little nervous. And maybe your kids, thankfully, aren't here to call you out on it. (laughs) I think one of the reasons he says don't provoke your children to anger is because it, it causes them to close up. That anger causes them to close their heart up. Now, listen, sometimes kids get angry when you're doing the right thing, right? <laughs> what is one of the things that came with the fall, that came with the curse of sin? One of the evidences of the curse of the fall and the curse of sin was a rebellion against authority, right? It was first, it, that was the first lie. You don't have to listen to God. You don't have to do what he said. This will be good for you. You'll be as wise as him. That need to say, I'm my own boss. I'm my own God. Now, that's what our culture is teaching our kids, isn't it? You're your own God. You, you do what you want to do. That's the most important thing, that you do what you want to do. Whereas we say to our kids, you can be anything God wants you to be. The world says you can be anything you want to be. Well, the problem with that is I don't know what I should be until God reveals it because God is the one who created me for a purpose. So the Bible says all authority is from God. Not all authority is perfect. You might have got pulled over by a, by a police officer who didn't do a good job and, and, and you might have felt like I should rebel against that, but you shouldn't. Because even if that guy didn't do the perfect job and was wrong about whatever you did, authority itself is from God. So you honor the police officer even if the police officer made a mistake. Now, if he is blatantly still breaking the law, then that's a different issue. But I'm sure you've been pulled over before and he said you didn't signal and you could swear you did or, you know, maybe the attitude you feel coming back at you isn't so good. You still honor that man or that woman because authority is from God. So the enemy has put it in our hearts to rebel against authority. So even children at a young age test the limits, don't they? And they push against that. That self-will pushes against authority. And sometimes when you hold the line and you say, no, you can't just do anything you want, they get angry. Well, that's not your fault. That Sometimes they will get angry at you. Sometimes they will get angry at God. Listen, people got angry at Jesus, right? Did Jesus provoke them to anger? Did Jesus do anything wrong? No. That was a really quiet no for such a simple answer. <laughs> We're going to have a class after this service for all of you that think Jesus did things wrong. I think there's a different church you should go to if that's what you believe. <laughs> no, Jesus didn't do anything wrong, but still, people still got angry. So not every time your children get angry at you, it's not always your fault. Sometimes you're doing the right thing and that's why they're angry. Because there's that rebellion. What does the Bible say? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of correction will drive it far far from them. Boy, did I learn that as a kid. (laughs) Like I knew that verse really well. (laughs) I'm not just saying I experienced that verse. I knew that verse. My parents made me memorize that verse. That's how messed up my childhood was. (laughs) Just kidding. I had a good childhood. Don't cry for me. I, I turned out okay. <laughs> Just because your kids got angry at you. Because, you know, your kids could hear this message, go home and say, I want firecrust pizza or, or something, or Spiro's pizza, even better, today. 
and you say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to eat this chicken that I've roasted today. That's what we're going to have. And they get angry at you, and you say, don't get angry at me. This is what we're eating. And then they could come back and say, you're provoking me to anger. Pastor Jonathan said not to do that. (laughs) And let me tell you, they have no case, and I'll back you up on that. (laughs) Just because they're angry doesn't mean you provoke them to anger. But there is a way to provoke anger in a child. Fathers, we have to hear this. Because in order for us to raise up kids with open hearts, we have to learn how to open our hearts. Remember, this is a letter. In Ephesians 4, he says, and in fact, I'll read it to you. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. What's edification? Building up. Only let words exit your mouth that are going to build somebody up. Now sometimes, even discipline, it doesn't feel like you're being built up, but it does. Godly correction will build you up. Right? Think about how the Holy Spirit addresses you. If you're doing something that's blatantly, blatantly killing you, blatantly rebellion against God. When the Holy Spirit addresses that, the Holy Spirit, God doesn't just leave you alone and hope you figure it out. No, he'll point it out. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 that godly sorrow leads to repentance. So there's a feeling of, I shouldn't be doing this. What's that? That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's not who you are. Stop it. You're a saint and that's not who you are. You're righteous. That's not who you are. And the Holy Spirit will point very specifically at that and say, I'm the great surgeon, let me cut this out. And it'll heal you. But what does the enemy do? The enemy is not a surgeon, the enemy is a butcher. So while the the great surgeon uses his scalpel and cuts the stuff out that needs to come out, Satan is a butcher and he'll just, he's a serial killer. He just stabs you and stabs you. And so, so while the Holy Spirit says, this is not of me, this needs to leave. Satan will say, you're, this, the Holy Spirit said, this is wrong. The Holy Spirit will say, you are wrong. You're bad. How could God ever accept you? Look how evil, look how dirty you are. That's not the work of the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit points at this. This needs to change. Satan points at you and says, you're bad, you're wrong. And that's the same thing when we discipline our kids. There is behavior that needs to change. There are things that need to be sorted out. But they need to know who they are in Christ. They need to know who they are in your eyes, that their their standing doesn't change with you. This needs to change, but they, they are still your kids. They are still loved. Don't let anything exit your mouth that's not going to build up according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. And then he says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. How could I grieve the Spirit by the words that I say? By the things, by, by not staying in that grace, by not staying in that power of God, I step out of that and I step into my own need for control. And I'm grieving the Spirit. Then he says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ 
has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Fathers, we need to be tender-hearted. Tender-hearted is a dangerous place to be if the world were to tell you about it because tender-hearted leaves you vulnerable, doesn't it? As long as you have a hard heart, no one can hurt you. Harden your heart and no one can really sting you like they have in the past. But harden your heart and nothing flows out of it and nothing flows into it. A hardened heart is a, is a dying heart. Just like the Dead Sea is dead because nothing's flowing in and nothing's flowing out. So parents, what if we were to put away malice, bitterness, clamor, slander? What if we were to say, let's be tenderhearted, kind, tenderhearted, forgiving as God in Christ has forgiven us? When you approach your kids with a tender heart, they learn they can trust God with their heart and be tenderhearted. Kids react in anger when they see that in you. I know, dads, you know this, and I hope this doesn't prick your heart too much, but I know what it's like. Now, I learned from my parents, never discipline your child in anger. So if you're really upset with them, cool down before you discipline them. Cool down before you say, this is what we're going to do about this. Cool down, because if you're reacting out of anger, you're not reacting out of love. And love builds up, but anger will tear down and cause them to close up. See, if you're reacting out of anger, whatever you whatever discipline is not really discipline at all. It's your need to get something out. And that'll destroy a child. So what do you do? You wait till you can discipline in love. And the Bible says that discipline doesn't always feel good. In fact, it says no discipline feels good at the moment. That word discipline is a word for training. So you guys that work out, you know when you're pushing your body and you're, and you're, you know, you got a trainer that's telling you, go further, go further, go further. You could do it, another one. It doesn't feel good when they're telling you that. If it felt good, you wouldn't need them, right? That training pushes you to places you don't want to go. Sometimes discipline is the same way. Sometimes it pushes us past the areas we want to go because if it didn't, we wouldn't need discipline. We would just naturally do these things. It, it, it pushes against our flesh, but it's good. The Bible says afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So when we're saying, when he's saying here that uh, not to provoke your children to anger, I'm sure some of us remember those times. And I think every dad, every mom probably has a moment where you remember a time where your child just pushed you so far that you got frustrated. And for a moment they saw that frustration in your face. So they heard it in your voice. And I could tell you just from my own life with my own son, I know when he's heard that in my voice, and I've tried to not do that, but there's a couple times I can think back where I got frustrated, and he heard it in my voice, and he saw it in my eyes, and I saw him just close up and get angry. And I knew that angry, anger didn't come out of nowhere. That anger was a response to what was going on in me. God forgive me, and God has, and little Moses has forgiven me, but we've all had those moments. What God is asking us to do is be tender-hearted. Does that mean you can't, does that mean you, you let them walk all over you and do whatever they want? No. You got to be godly with them, just as God is with you. 
But there is a tender-hearted joy that your kids need to know. They need to see in you a tender-hearted joy that loves God and loves them. You see, if you're spending your whole life just trying to keep them from doing bad things, that's what they define themselves as. I am a bad kid under control. But if you, if you start to see the seeds that God's planted and you water and you, you nourish those seeds. In fact, I want to get back to that verse in Ephesians 6 that we started with. Ephesians 6, 4, it says, but bring them up. Now, if you were to look up this phrase, bring them up in the Greek, it is a, word, it's a phrase that denotes nourishing. What you're feeding them, how you're, how you're nourishing. In fact, in, in the New Testament, it's translated as nourishing in other places. Nourish them, feed them, cause them to grow. What is God planting in my kids? What is God planting in these children? How am I nourishing these things? And husbands and wives, you know this is the same thing we do with one another. God put gifts in my wife. And I could be intimidated by these gifts and say, well, they're not my gifts. I I prefer to just do things that are familiar to me. Or I can say, God put that there. I'm going to nourish this. I'm going to water this. I am going to, to watch this grow and see what the Lord is doing. Raise up your children. Grow them up. Nourish them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So that word discipline in, else, in other places in the New Testament is translated as training. It's not just telling them. It's showing them. It's walking through with them. One time I was driving to see Tia, and this was before we were married, and it was, it was actually going to surprise her, but her mom ruined the surprise. Sherry, I know you're listening, and I love you very much. <laughs> Her mom didn't ruin the surprise. Her mom just knew Tia better than I did at the point and knew she'd prefer to be prepared and have her house clean and all of that. But I came to Spokane and I was driving. It's a long drive. And so I decided, you know, when I grew up, I loved the Swiss Family Robinson, right? Like the treehouse and all the gadgets. I think I loved it. I loved Disney's version. I remember there was a cartoon version I loved. So I was older and I thought, well, just for old time's sake, let me listen to the original Novel, Swiss Family Robinson. Not the Disney version, not the cartoon, but let me listen to the original book. It was exhausting. Have you ever read that book? Like they get stranded on an island, and let me tell you what happens. These boys are walking around with their dad, and everything they come across, their dad stops and teaches them something about it. And I was like, Dad, quiet for a while. It was exhausting. You know what this plant does? Do you know what this does? Hey, son, do you notice what you did? Let me show you how to do it better. I'm driving, and I'm like, just leave them alone, Dad. (laughs) Everything was a teaching lesson. Oh, my goodness. But then in the book, it's like they need all this stuff at some point. They, They know how to survive on the island. Like, they're not going to school, so their dad's teaching them, and they're learning. And I realize this is a dad that loves them. He wasn't just doing it to hear his own voice. He was trying to raise up sons who knew how to survive and knew how to take care of themselves, knew how to take care of their family. And as exhausting as that might have been, he cared about their well-being. And so he saw lessons and he took advantage of it where it was. I had a father who knew a lot, and I, I tried not to ask him certain questions if I didn't have time. <laughs> like, right? <laughs> Like, if I had time for a lecture or a sermon, then I'd 
Go ahead and ask the question. There were some questions I thought would take 30 seconds to answer. What does this word mean? Don't ask him what that word means because he'll go back to the original language and he'll explain how it was used back then and how it was used now. And by then, you know, supper is come and gone and you've, you've missed stuff. You've missed, you've missed seasons in your life you'll never get back. But I realized that this was love that he was saying, I want to pass this on to you. So sometimes kids don't appreciate discipline. Just as like you might not really feel at the time when you guys are being, you know, if you're being trained for an event and you got somebody that's training you for, for the Olympics or something, which if we have future Olympians in the room, cool. Uh, but, you know, you're being trained. It doesn't feel good at the moment, but it, it, it leads to something good. And interesting enough, it says, bring them up in the discipline of the training. And the instruction of the Lord, your translation might say admonition. Because this word instruction does not just mean teaching. It's, it's closer to the word for warning. But you're showing them, by training them, you're training them the way they should go. You're disciplining them. What's the root word of discipline? Disciple. You are raising up disciples. How did Jesus raise up his disciples? He taught them. He showed them. Then he, put it, he, he used them and put them into practice. It's the same thing with kids. But then he says, and the instruction or the admonition or the warning of the Lord. You're supposed to show them the way they should go and show them, hey, don't go that way. I've been down that road. I know which way it goes. I told you guys this before, but we, you know, I've worked with, with mothers, uh, single mothers who have lots of kids from different fathers, and they came to the Lord, and, and they're talking, now they're girls, they're teenagers, and they say, I don't know how to talk to them, because I'm not really sure how I'm supposed to talk to them and tell them to, to not do what I did, because I'm afraid they'll come back and say, well, you didn't do it. Who are you to tell me not to sleep around before I get married? You, look at you. I said, you've got, to go, you've got to believe in the reality of what Jesus did in you. You've got to believe in the righteousness of God. That when you know, I am now righteous, I am now a new creation in Christ, you can talk to your kids and not feel the shame and the guilt from what you did wrong. And you can teach them even the same things that you did wrong. You can say, I've been down that road. You don't have to go down that road. I know that way. Remember that, that chapter we were reading in Psalm 78. I talked, about this, I talked about when it says, tell them about the things the Lord has done and all the works of God. What we didn't read is he goes on to say, and not to do what their forefathers did who rebelled against God. You tell them what God's done. You tell them which way they should go. And you also tell them there's a wrong way too. And I'm going to teach you what that way is so you don't have to learn it by experience. Raise them up and nurture them in the discipline, the training, and the instruction, the admonition of the Lord. My prayer is that we would have an army of kids, a family of kids, a, a, a team of kids whose hearts are wide open to God. And that wide open heart, that tender heart to God, that sensitive heart to God is to be nurtured by their fathers and their mothers. Now, God brings kids into the family that don't have fathers and mothers that are good or that are doing this for them. And that's where other people step in and, and show them what love looks like and love them back to life. But that anger, that anger causes us to shrink in and 
It devours every other emotion. It eats up joy. It eats up love. It eats up compassion. So what does God say to us? Remember, before he ever told you how to act around your kids, he told you, hey, you, put away the wrath and the malice and the bitterness and put on a tender heart. Forgive each other as Christ has forgiven you. I'm going to close with these couple of thoughts here. I really believe, I truly believe that in order for us to parent in a godly manner, we've got to learn to forgive. We've got to learn to let bitterness go. In order for you to be a godly father, fathers in the room, for you to be a godly father, you're going to have to go through the process of letting God soften your heart again. Because a hard-hearted father will raise hard-hearted children. You may not know it, but when you react out of a hard heart, they get that. They feel that. It provokes anger in them. It provokes an anger that, that slowly causes their own heart to close. But if that's what happens with anger, what could happen with joy? What can happen with love? Think about the old hymn, hearts unfold like flowers before him. Hearts unfold like flowers before him. Think about that image of flowers opening up before the sun. That's what our hearts are meant to be like when we look at, the, look at the Father and we look at God and our hearts open up. Think about your, cha- your children as these gardens where these things are growing. How am I nourishing? How am I watering? How am I raising them up in the knowledge of the Lord. And I will tell you this, some of you even this morning need to let God do surgery on your own heart because for too long you've carried around the hurt of your parents or you've, hurt, you've carried around the hurts that other people have done or you've carried around hurts in the church. You can't raise your kids with hurt. You can't raise them thinking that hurt doesn't exist either. But you can raise them teaching this is how we deal with it. This is how we give it to God. I remember my dad saying something. He said, he said, I know, he said, you can tell when people are starting to close their hearts to me, to the church, when they're about to leave. He said, because their kids treat me different. He said, kids that used to run up and give them a hug. Pastor David, stay away. You may, never, you may not know that that's the effect you have on your children. But it happens with all of us. We've all been hurt. You all have reasons to close your heart, just as you have reasons to be angry at people. But we gave up all those rights and those reasons when we accepted Jesus. Those of you who are business owners know you have accounts receivable and you have accounts payable. Jesus took your books and he took the accounts payable and said, no longer do you owe any debt. But he also took the accounts receivable with him. You have to give them both to him. And if you can live with an open heart, you're going to raise kids with open hearts. The worry of a parent is that if I raise my kids with their hearts too open, somebody will take advantage of that heart. But I remember what Peter said. We were all like sheep that went astray. But now... We have returned to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Shepherd, guardian of our souls. Jesus is a good shepherd. 
And a good shepherd doesn't just lead. A good shepherd protects and guards, fights off predators. Can you raise your kids to trust Jesus like you trust Jesus? Now, some of you today have grown kids. Some of you, you're looking at your grandkids. Some of you, even great-grandkids. Some of you don't have kids at all. But there's enough young people around you that you're having an effect on somebody. Some of you may or may not ever have kids, and that doesn't make you any less or greater in the kingdom of God. We're all different. But this applies to us all. Tender hearts will breed tender-hearted people. Forgiveness is contagious. Love is contagious. If we would all say, let's put bitterness and malice and wrath and slander away from us. Let's be tender-hearted. Let's be kind. Let's forgive one another as God has forgiven us in Christ. Then that tender-hearted joy, that tender-hearted love, that tender-hearted excitement will be transmitted to a generation that's yet to grow up. I want you to forgive yourself as Christ has forgiven you. Because I'm sure that there's enough people just by the law of averages, there's probably people in the room here today who have a lot of regret about the way you raise your kids. But regret never fixes anything. If you got a lot of regret, that same, that same regret, that also hardens your heart. That also causes damage. Would you just give that to Jesus and trust God that we serve a resurrecting Savior? who brings dead things to life. He does. God will breathe on dry bones again. Maybe your kids seem like dry bones right now. Maybe your kids are grown and you're looking at them and you're going, I don't know. God's going to have to do a miracle in their life. Good. He does miracles. That's what he does, right? He breathes on the dead things and they come back to life again. And I want to remind you about what Jairus did. Because Jairus' daughter was too sick to come to Jesus. She didn't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal me. Jairus said, my daughter is on her deathbed. Would you come to her? He brought Jesus to her. Some of you, your kids aren't coming right now. They're not coming to Jesus. They're not fellowshipping Jesus. But you can bring Jesus to them. Some of you are like the the prodigal son's parents. You're like the father, the mother, just waiting at home while you're your kid's doing stupid things out there, but there is a, a ray of hope that if you'll trust God, there's this point, if you're praying for him, there's often this point where that young man, it says, one day he came to his senses. You know, somebody who comes to their senses was, was raised right. Right? Because they had the senses to start with. They had senses to come back to. That means at some point he realizes my dad was right this whole time. Even Jesus had Judas. God, the first two humans he put in the Garden of Eden sinned against him. So when your kids do something wrong, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. But we do believe in a God who brings people back to life. Let's stand up together.